Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Tuesday morning, the 5th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The government has set out its plans for developing the country over the next 10 years up to 2030. The plan gives clarity about government investment for the next decade which in turn gives sectors all across our society and economy the confidence to modernise and to plan ahead too. The National Development Plan will set aside 11.6 billion euro for new public transport, 6 billion euro for new roads and 3.6 billion for walking and cycling paths. The plan provides the funding for micro and major projects in every part of Ireland. A plan to develop Cork, Waterford, Limerick and Galway into cities of scale as well as other growth centres like Sligo, Athlone, Dundalk, Drogheda and Letterkenny. The Thánaiste Leo Vradker. Overall, the package is worth €165 billion. Euro. This is the largest ever investment in transport infrastructure in the history of the state. €35 billion allocated over the course of the next 10 years for new public transport, new roads, new active travel projects and continued investment in international connectivity through our seaports and airports. The two-to-one spending ratio agreed in the programme for government in favour of new public transport and new roads is retained. Critics question government aspiration. You may wish to see a project delivered, but that wish is far from guaranteeing delivery. There is substantial funding uh, underpinning the plan, so it's not a wish list. Uh, And one is going to see very large capital investment in this country for the next 10 years. The Taoiseach, Michal Martin, says the National Development Plan will deliver old and new projects by 2030. This National Development Plan includes delivery of projects that are already well signposted or ongoing, including Bus Connects and the National Broadband Plan, as well as new and expanded programmes that support our national strategic objectives. That's the Taoiseach, Michal Martin. Uh, we'll talk about what people in County Louth can and cannot expect a little later on. But we're going to begin this morning at uh, looking at uh, the consequences of this plan for infrastructure in County Mead. There's a recommitment to some long talks about projects like uh, the Slane Bypass or the Roundabout at Kilmoon Cross or the M3 Tony to M50. But the National Development Plan also promises a review to reflect on the 
strategic potential of the Navan rail line. A review of the transport strategy for the Greater Dublin area is underway and allocations provided under this NDP will allow for the commencement of planning and design of rail projects that might emerge from the review, including options for the proposed Navan rail line. Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castle says uh, that as a result of this, uh, the government has revived hope in the National Development Plan for the realisation of the Navan Rail Line. And he's on the line. Good morning to you, Senator Castles, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, this is obviously great news. Uh, what can we expect when? When will we be able to get a, a train to Dublin more to the point? Uh, good morning, Michael. And, and absolutely, it, it is great news because um, it is a big deal because I think to put it into context, we have been off any national policy uh, from the point of view of the rail line for the past decade. Well, there hasn't um, been a train since the last since the fifties. Uh, so, so, so when, so, so when will, there, so, so when will there be a train? So again, Michael, just to finish the point, this wasn't just gone from a funding point of view; mm. it was gone from a policy point of view. Was no, nobody, I, I was asking nobody. you not to. I was asking you not to finish the point. I was asking you to answer the question. When will we be able to get a train to Dublin? Okay, so from a planning point of view, Michael, and we discussed this in July when me and you spoke about this when I when I raised it in the Senate. The, the alignment of all these plans coming forward. We had the big announcement yesterday in terms of the National Development Plan. It was crucial that we were mentioned within that. The next stage, hopefully within the next uh, month or two, is the National Transport Authority's feasibility study on this as well. At that point, hopefully, and I'm very confident that that is going to endorse it, because money was put aside yesterday, it means that the planning and the commencement and the design can start. And we'll be pushing for that to be starting rapidly, Michael. And that's the whole point, is that there's a, obviously this is a project that's going to cost a billion euro mm. um, overall capital cost. And so there's a huge amount of money that's going to have to be spent on the planning of it. What's crucial now, having got the endorsement yesterday, is the endorsement of the NTA before Christmas to let that kick on and commence that. And to finish the point, it is really important to make okay. that point. We've been we've been nowhere for the last decade. Mm. We didn't want, just fall off. We didn't just fall off the, the platform in terms of the NTA. Do you want to give we us any dates? We we fell off the platform with the government as well. Mm. Remember, Shane Ross didn't even want to look at this. It's actually Leo Bradker who jettisoned it over ten years ago. I would be very confident that within uh, before Christmas, when we get a, a positive endorsement from the NTA, we can kick off from this. And at this point, it's then putting pressure on making the government. I've heard the critics already saying it'll be 10 or 15 years before this is ever. If you want to be looking at a, a glass half full or half empty, you can look at it half uh, empty yesterday because you want to be negative, or you can look at it half full and put the hammer down and say, yes, we're going to press well, we want, we, 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 we'd, we'd love, and, we'd and love the half, We'd love the half full view. Uh, when can we expect to be able to get a train to Dublin? Well, I would be hopeful, Michael, that if we could get planning up and running on this project, that we would, we would try and see it actually delivered within the decade of this um, national development plan. You know, we've lost a decade, and that's just absolutely reprehensible that we lost a decade where we could have been actually getting it already had it been progressed to rail order stage, as it should have been. So you reckon that you'd be able to get a train, what, around 2030? Well, Michael, you know, this is a, a billion euro project. You know, I'm not going to be um, just putting, pl- plucking dates out of the, the sky. We've seen with other major projects because of planning difficulties and so forth. bad too. Well, I mean, we, we, we want the glass to be half full. We want to feel yeah, good about absolutely. this. We, we want to have yeah. something to look forward to. We want something tangible. 2030? 2035? 2040? 
And again, Michael, that's why I'm saying that before Christmas, and please God, we'll be talking again, mm. we will get that positive announcement from the NTA. And having got that, mm. then we can actually look at the real dates and the real figures instead of just throwing dates like you are there out of the sky because we want to be positive and we do that with facts. No, yes. I was asking if, yes. you, if you had any idea of when we'd be able to get a, a train, but you don't, is yes. that it? Yes. Yesterday was the first step, Michael, in actually getting the funding in place for planning and commencement. But you don't, you don't, you've no idea when we'd be able to get a train, is that it? We will soon enough, Michael. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. At the moment, you've no idea. It's impossible to say at the moment. Nobody does. No, nobody does. And that's that's being honest, because nobody does. And to to say otherwise, to either give a false impression of, oh, it's it's a way in fire fields, or to give a, 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 a glowing reference, either way is false. Because we don't know. Well, let me go to Sinn Féin spokesperson on transport, Darren O'Rourke, who's a TD for Mead East, uh, because he's issued a statement with dates in it. Are they false dates when you say this won't go to to planning until 2030 and that there won't be the potential of getting on a, a train until 2035? So, so Shane talks about facts there. We, we just had the launch of this document yesterday. Um, so that's policy, government policy in black and white. And you read out, Michael, from the, the text of it, um, the commitment. And this is a, a document to take us up to 2030, to prioritise the funding, to prioritise the work until 2030. And what it commits to is, if the review is successful, to progress planning and design of of rail projects. So planning and design, best case scenario, will happen between now and 2030. That's the commitment that was made by the government yesterday in what was presented as the largest and greenest uh, investment project of uh, ever um, and the best that could be achieved um, through the combined efforts of the three parties in government was that planning and design of the Navan Rail project might happen between now and 2030 if, if the, and, and I'm hopeful as well that there will be a, a positive result out of the, the, the NTA review but that means uh, you know, on the, on the 1st of January 20, 2031 mm. we might be in a position to look to move towards construction mm. and construction I spoke with, with, with uh, Irish Rail when they were before the committee can take, you know, best case scenario three years, reasonable case scenario five years. Mm. So why, says, why couldn't it happen before that though? Well of course it could happen mm. before that Michael, mm. if the political priority and commitment was there and that's, that's I, I think some of the difficulty in relation Well the commitment as you said is that the review will happen sometime between now and 2030 so that could happen next year or the year after let's say, couldn't it? Uh, and Sorry? Well, 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 the review is essentially done. You know, the review mm. is essentially done and it's through a report in the next few, few weeks, actually, from, from the NTA. It's already delayed. It was to happen mm. in July. My understanding, and it's, you know, it's, it's different in what, from what Shane is saying there, mm. is that that then goes into a review of the Greater Dublin Area Transport okay. Strategy. So it won't be acted on straight away. It won't be acted on before Christmas based on the current timeline. Of course, we all have to push together and try and move this on. But I think it's, mm. you know, it's, it's really, really disappointing that in the green, so-called greenest and largest investment in the history of the state, mm. 
where this project absolutely aligns with with all the, the so-called priorities, that it wasn't given greater priority. And I have to say, Michael, in relation to this document, you know, whatever about the nav and rail, and, and we need to push, push, push in relation mm. to that, there is a serious question in terms of the future uh, of projects such as the Slane Bypass, the mm. Kilmoon Cross mm. and the mm. Clunny. Okay. I, I, I firmly believe um, that at least one of those projects will, will never happen on the back of this proposal. Okay. Perhaps so, but just stay with this for a moment with the rail line because the NDP document says that the review is underway and that allocations uh, will be provided under the plan to allow for the commencement of planning and design. Uh, So if it's all but done, perhaps uh, that review will report by Christmas and then perhaps that will allow for the commencement of planning and design uh, of the Navin rail line and perhaps that can be completed in a couple of years through the planning process and on board Planola and perhaps it could go to construction uh, in far uh, shorter a time than you're suggesting which well, would be 2035 2036. Well, well then we'd need to change to this document that was launched yesterday because it says in black and white that there there is funding there for the commencement of planning and design. There is no mention of funding for construction. So if it doesn't say that, then as far as you're concerned, it's not possible. Absolutely. And and, and, I'm, and not only that, I'm listening to the clear indication from the ministers involved. You listen to it. And I, I sit mm-hmm. at committee meetings on a regular basis and I have protected time with Eamon Ryan every six weeks. I'm listening to the words that he's saying and hear him very clearly that these are long-term projects, that there's a number of priorities, and this isn't high up in, in terms of the priority list there are, you know, whether it be Dark Plus, whether it be, whether okay. it be Metro, Metro uh, okay. uh, uh, Rail Okay, let Shane Castles come back in on the Navin Rail Line. Uh, the only thing that is planned over the next 10 years is the possible possibility that it will go to planning and design. Well, Darren's just after made an, an interesting point there. He's after stating that it isn't high up on the priority list and it's very, he's been very disingenuous because at one stage he'll go out and he'll campaign and say he's trying his best. He knows damn well that the NTA report is going to list its priorities. It hasn't come out yet. When it does, I'm confident that we will be a priority within that. He's a very intelligent man. He knows the processes involved. He knows the processes in terms well, of... Well, explain to us. Explain to us who don't know the processes on. as well as you or Darren O'Rourke. If it does not... Uh, make uh, a, a mention of construction, if it does not plan for constructing the Navin Ray line in this document, can it go to construction before the term of for this document runs out? In other words, before 2030? Yeah, of course it can, Michael. And do you know why? They couldn't actually commit to construction yet because it hasn't gone through the policy stage in terms of planning. So and where I, is the I, money I, for that? Is I, it in the $165 billion or is that $165 billion plus the cost of constructing the Navin Rail Line? Well, again, you see, we've had critics of the plan yesterday say that it hasn't been detailed enough yet in terms of aligning ex- exact expenditure amount to exact projects. But as was pointed out by many commentators last night, that gives the flexibility to plan because if other things are bogged down in planning to actually react to that, Previous governments have done things where they've aligned money. That money has been kept on a project which was going nowhere and then other projects that were shoveled ready actually couldn't avail of money that was available within the Exchequer. What we got yesterday was the chance to move this project on that's been dead for 10 years. OK, let me go back to Darren O'Rourke because based on what Shane Castles is saying, Darren O'Rourke, you've been misleading us. 
So th- that isn't the case at all. And I just want to touch on, on, on some of the priorities here, because obviously I want to see this project delivered in as quick a time frame as possible. I believe uh, it can be do- done sooner, um, but it, it isn't going to be done sooner because there isn't the, the, it, it isn't being prioritised enough. So if, if we list the projects that are major priorities... But do you accept what Shane Castle says? If this... It uh, goes to planning and design and goes through that process, then the money can be made available to it because he's clearly telling us uh, that what you said is not just wrong uh, but was mischievous because you know better. He said you're an intelligent man and obviously you're trying to mislead us. Well, well, all I'm doing, Michael, is reading from the document that, and, and as you did yourself earlier, Michael, reading literally word for word from the document that was launched with great fanfare yesterday. So if the government, if Shane wanted to be more convincing this morning, he could have secured a commitment from his government to have the word and construction included in that, that document yesterday. But it wasn't included. And if you look at you know, where Navin Rail sits in the terms of priority projects in terms of rail, they want to electrify the fleet. They want to expand metropolitan rail. They want a massive investment in, in Cork, the CMAT project. Mm. They want expansion of Dark Plus. They want, they want investment in, in Metrolink, big questions in relation to that. And Navin Rail is alongside Dart Underground in terms of those projects that are, in my opinion, from, from reading the document in black and white and from listening to what the ministers are saying, you know, it's a nice idea. It's, you know, it's getting more prioritization okay. now than it has in the past, but it's a long way down the list, far further down the list than, in my opinion, it you're, should be. You're, you're both words apart on this. Uh, let's talk about some of uh, the roads. Whatever about uh, the M3 Clonny to M50 or the roundabout at Kilmoon Cross, the Slane Bypass uh, is a pipe dream uh, at uh, this stage uh, for many. Will it continue to be that way, uh, do you think, Shane Castles? And I, I hope not. And I know um, that the county council uh, met yesterday and within the chief executive's report uh, to council members, she had an update in respect of the um, RPS progressing to, to, to phase three design and so forth. It's been going on an entire scene of, of nearly 20 years mm. uh, from, from different planning processes. And it goes to the very... And nothing changed in the last three years since uh, the National Development Plan of 2018. This is the updated version. Mm. Yeah, and, that, and that's very disappointing to see, but it's great to see it retained within the, the new National Development Plan. And I would hope that all the partners that are actually involved in this redouble their efforts to make sure uh, that the planning difficulties that have been encountered in the past are overcome because the, the support is there for the project to make sure that it happens. Mm. Darren O'Rourke? I, I, I am deeply concerned about any of the, the roads projects that uh, are, are earmarked for County Mead, and I know that's going to be hugely frustrated for you know, the people of Slane and for people in, in traffic jams every morning at, at Primatestown and Kilmoon Cross. I think what we have yesterday was essentially a political document, um, a, a reflection that the three parties couldn't agree what should go into it, so everything went into it. And the truth of it, the simple fact of the matter, um, is that all of the projects that are earmarked in it cannot be delivered with the funding that is there. So the €6 billion Euros for, for new roads, if the M20 yeah. is built from Limerick to, to, to Cork, that's half of that budget gone. Yeah. Um, and but, that's a reality. But I'm sure you heard Minister Eamon Ryan say that bypasses are going to be prioritised. 
bypasses will be looked on most favourably. Absolutely. So that, that, so that, that should put Slane in a position of advantage, should it not? It does. It, 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 gives, it, it certainly does. It gives some hope at what we want to see in relation to the, the difficulty with it is, you know, it's, it's not on a, on a short list and the funding hasn't been allocated in relation to it. It, it does seem to, you know, roads projects uh, don't um, do well in terms of the new assessment tool they have, but bypasses are, are far more favoured and, and this, of course, is a, is a, is a bypass option. It, it's not a bypass in, in Kilmoon Cross, so that raises serious questions in mm-hmm. relation to but I think what's again really important in terms of this is you know it's 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 uh, very disappointing that the wording and the commitment isn't stronger in the document that was launched yesterday but it will take you know political representatives from right across the board to ensure that they push and push and push in relation to the slain bypass because the people of of that community have waited far too long for for this project and it has been mm. um, on on the the cards for a long time okay let's uh, conclude with that Shane Castles how long might they be waiting for or can you envisage a situation where the bypass will be delivered before the end of the decade? Yeah, well, I, I very much hope so. But just to pick up on a point that Darren made there in terms of people couldn't agree what went into the plan for everyone to went into the plan. You know, again, it's very disingenuous. This was a good news story for the country as a whole and for me as well, because of all the departments and all the funding announcements that are made, that is going to have an impact on me. Do you look at housing? There's around 20 billion euros worth of uh, funding for housing over the course of that. Mm. I just looked at the stats yesterday for me, 54 million euro at tender stage already for houses in Mead, another 30 million euro in projects currently at design stage. In total, there's 161 million euro of funding for housing at this moment in time in this year on the books and meet. And that's not including another 400 homes from approved housing bodies as well. And they're in my area. They're in the Kadaki yeah. Road. Well, you they're know that the Green Party Bay. wanted to stop all new road, road building. And you know that the Green Party has said that once it's in the plan, it doesn't guarantee anything. There's no guarantee that any of these roads will be built. So, I mean, it's not totally disingenuous uh, because if there had been agreement, uh, then the plan surely would have been clearer, would it not? Again, I go back to the point, touching back on the transport point again, Michael, we have envelopes of money there now to achieve the major projects that have been set out in this plan, whether that be the Navin Rail, whether that be housing, whether that be agriculture. There's a huge amount more in this plan that's going to affect everybody. It's also going to create, and this is a very important point, 90,000 jobs in the construction sector as well, mm. by people being employed from projects that are on the National Development Plan. And that's going to be people employed in the Mead area, in the Loud area, and right across the North East as well. If you can get them, and what impact that might have on private housing, there's uh, a lot more uh, to discuss in relation to housing and some of the other issues in this plan. Uh, But time doesn't allow for that at the moment. But thank you both for joining us on the programme this morning. That's uh, Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles. We're also speaking with Sinn Féin TD for Mead East, Darren Darren O'Rourke, who's uh, the Sinn Féin spokesperson on transport. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, I'm sure you know how important a smoke alarm is. It can save your life, it can save your children's lives, it can save your property from being destroyed, so on and so forth. Uh, But it can only do that if it is working properly. And uh, the message for this year's National Fire Safety Week is that you test your smoke alarm. Let's hear a little bit more from the Chief Fire Officer in County Meath, Sheila Broderick, who's on the line. And a very good morning to you, Sheila, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. You're suggesting that people test their smoke alarms and that they do that weekly. Yes, exactly, Michael. Today is Tested Tuesday, so we would ask everyone to... Obviously, the first thing is important that everybody has working smoke alarms in their house, at least two working alarms, 
um, one on every level of your house. And if you have an attic space, ideally you should have one there too. Um, and But the important thing for Tested Tuesday, obviously, is we need to make sure that they're working. So we're asking everyone to push the button, test it every Tuesday. And obviously, if it needs to be replaced, replace it straight away. If you have a long life battery alarm, like a 10 year alarm, 10 year battery life alarm, they can be replaced obviously every 10 years. But mm. you need to check what type of alarm that you have. If it's a mains power alarm or battery backup, you may need to replace batteries and so on. So on Tested Tuesday, we're just, it's, it's a simple message just to make sure you have your alarm in place and check the date on your alarm and make sure you test it weekly. Mm. Um, so the hashtag for today, I suppose, is Tested Tuesday and fire services all over the country are promoting the message on social media. So we'd ask people to check out, you know, Twitter, uh, Meet County Council's Twitter page, Meet Fire Service Twitter page and other fire services around the country if they're interested in the, on that on the social media side. Mm. And there's also lots of information on firesafetyweek.ie. So we'll have a different message, I suppose, all simple messages every day for Fire Safety Week, but it's all around stopping fire. And the stopping fire means stopping having a smoke alarm, testing your alarms weekly, looking out for the obvious dangers possibly that are in the home and planning your escape route. So it's important to have a plan, especially if you have young children or people with mobility issues in the house. You need to make sure that you have a plan that if the alarm goes off and it's dark at night, how are you going to get everybody out? So yeah. all those things are important. But the focus on today is Tested Tuesday. All right, yeah. Well, having a plan very important uh, because uh, if uh, you have to come up with that plan in a, a panic, uh, you may not be able to. I, I suppose we all know the importance, or most of us know the importance mm-hmm. of smoke alarms, certainly those of us who have smoke alarms, because most of us put those smoke alarms in ourselves uh, because we wanted to do the right thing and to uh, try to be safe. Uh, but they become a bit of a nuisance at, at times, and sometimes they go off and people take the batteries out and think, oh, well, I've had enough of that. Or they're, yeah, go- well, or, or they're, go- or they're going really off all. Or, 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 or they're going off all the time because of the toaster. Uh, you quite often right. hear that one, Sheila. Those are things that all can be addressed quite easily. I mean, I suppose newer houses now, it's, it's a, a regulation, it's a requirement that everybody has to have one main part smoke detection in their home. But older dwellings may not have that, and that's why people sometimes will be relying on the battery operator type. The 10-year battery life alarm is a very good option. Um, if your alarm is going off regularly or it's in a location where it's been affected by the toaster, so it may just be a case that needs to be relocated or you need to consider a different type of alarm. So, you know, get a bit of advice on that. If you need it, you can contact your local fire service if you, re- if you need to get advice or you can go to a local hardware store. They might be able to advise you as well. But just, you know, enlist some help. Don't keep putting it off. If it's a nuisance, please don't take the batteries out because unfortunately we're called to hundreds of domestic fires every year. And in some cases, you know, what happens is that it's obvious that the battery has been removed and the alarm actually has been sounded. Mm, mm. And in County Mead last year, unfortunately, we had three or four fire fatalities from fire in, in the county last year. So we, we don't want to see that happen. Everybody who dies, unfortunately, in a, in a house fire or, you know, an apartment fire, a domestic dwelling, they they will never think that that's going to happen to them. Of course they don't. None of us will think that we were going to be the victim. But unfortunately, it does happen. So that's why your main, your best protection really is to have a walking smoke alarm so testing it is really, really important because, like you say, it's not much use having it, obviously, if it's not going to protect you. And yeah. if it's becoming a nuisance and you take the battery out, well, then you don't have any protection. OK. So that's it. Thanks, Te- Michael. Tested Tuesday. Tested every Tuesday. Sheila, yeah, thank you exactly. indeed. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. That's Sheila Broderick, who's the Chief Fire Officer in County Meath. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to County Louth uh, and uh, some of uh, the projects uh, that are mentioned in uh, the National Development Plan, the Dublin Belfast Enterprise train line. Uh, The plan says uh, that uh, the uh, programme or the stock will have to be replaced by 
the end of 2027 and it will be replaced by nine new sets uh, and that will provide a narrowly trained service with modern, attractive and sustainable trains. There's also mention of uh, the Dublin-Belfast Economic Corridor uh, and indeed uh, a commitment to help develop that uh, area of trade. The narrow water bridge gets mentioned and a promise to bring that to tender stage and there is also of course mention of uh, the construction of the RD bypass. There's a whole range of new roads which are going to come but people know I'm also saying very much to TII the key one in new roads is also the bypasses we will deliver which help this compact development. Bypasses in Listole or in RD or in Tipperary Town or in Castle Martyr. I could name them, them all I'm naming none of them it, the, the key issue isn't whether you're named in this list, but it's the actual strategic direction which we are going to take. That's uh, the Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan, speaking at the launch of uh, the NDP yesterday. Let's speak uh, to local TD, uh, Fine Gael's Fergus O'Dowd. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. You'd be forgiven for thinking, listening to the Minister there, that there's hope for the RD bypass uh, as it's proposed uh, why is he leading people up the garden path like that? Well, uh, the first of all is that the RD bypass was first designed and in fact agreed at a cost of £20 million in 2006. Now that's a long time ago. And since then, because of objections and then because of a, you know, a new idea of trying to meet requirements of people who live near it, there were changes proposed. And now uh, the expected cost around 34 million, 8.6 million has been spent already. Mm. It's 4.5 kilometres of single carriage roadway with six junctions. Uh, it's yeah, very, but, very but, but you know it's not going to happen. I mean, the minister said as much to you very recently in the Dáil uh, when uh, I think he made it clear that he doesn't believe that it'll pass through the planning process. Well, I mean, the planning process is an independent process. Uh, but, the, but I mean, they're not going. They're not going to allow it to go through a, a bog and, and destroy. Well, yeah. Well, that's you know, all of these issues were dealt with initially in 2006. Uh, a number of them have, have been raised since, and legislation, Michael, has been changed since. That there are different environmental requirements now than what they were. Mm. But the people of RD want this road built, and I want it built. Well, some of them do, and some of them don't. And I think all of them want our road built, but not through the bog to destroy the ecosystem, to to, to extinguish the curlew that uh, exists in RD bog. I mean, that would be a sin, wouldn't it? Well, there are lots of environmental issues which have appropriately and properly been raised. And the people that would decide that are not are not Emmeline or Fergus or Dad, mm. on board Planola, and they will reach their professional decision on that and I'm confident that they will follow uh, the design that mm. is proposed and I want to repeat again that all of the people in RD that I know uh, who live in the town really want this bypass and most of the people who live outside the town want it. Now there are people and mm. I accept that. Do, 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 you accept, do you accept the arguments that those living in the town uh, are, are making that uh, this is uh, too important to destroy? Uh, people in town are telling me that it's absolutely essential that that this actual roadway is built. The environmental issue... But the route, can, the route is the it. problem. Yeah, no, well, well, the route is what has been dealt with mm. now. And if you're, I don't mean if you're telling me, but the cost has gone from 20 million mm. to 34 million. If it's delayed again, it'll probably be 60 million. Mm. Uh, will will RD be flooded? Will RD be flooded if the road goes through the well, bog? 
Michael, I think I think the county council drew up those plans, and they've been well versed and well mm. discussed, and they're confident, and they're confident. So our transport infrastructure Ireland, that design is appropriate for the location, and as you rightly say, all of the environmental issues will be decided by the experts and not by the politicians. So mm. hopefully, the decision will be made soon, and that they hopefully the road will commence. I think they're hoping to have it by twenty twenty three, commencing at least. Mm. If the planning is refused, what will happen then? Well, that's like, you know, if it rains tomorrow, will I be wearing a raincoat? Uh, you know, um, it, it well, no, I, I don't think it is, uh, because it probably will rain tomorrow. Um, and yeah. But the Minister actually did say in the doll, Michael, that he wasn't aware that there were any further delays in the process. He actually said that in mm. the doll. Yeah, but he, he did say... Uh, it's questionable as to whether it'll pass through the planning, pro- planning process. Well, Michael, I want to look at the good news here. The good news is that the money's there for the road. Mm. It's committed to, again, the fair and legal process that all roads must go through has been gone through. The authorities that will decide that will not be influenced by any politician mm. whatsoever. It's a professional decision that they make. That's why they're there. Okay. And hopefully they'll make that decision soon. Okay, well, there's, many, there's, there's many who would believe uh, that uh, to put a, a road through RD bog would be environmental vandalism, so that's hardly good well, news. People, people have different views on yeah, that. Yeah, but that's hardly good news, is it? Uh, well, Michael, I, th- I, I think they need the road, right? And uh, the council would dispute that statement. Certainly the professional engineers disputed it and uh, when we were consulting with them on that. But look, that's all been decided by mm. a third party. So, you know, I know my strong views and I know that Councillor Dolores Minogue has been working very hard on this mm. as well. And, uh, you know, I think she would represent, in my view, the, the views of the vast majority of people in the area and mm. support her and the people of RD in this. But I won't be making that decision, Michael. Mm. But conservation of uh, such a a natural habitat, uh, the ecosystem that comes with it, uh, the fauna and wildlife, uh, particularly the curlew uh, and uh, the threat that uh, that uh, species is under uh, from extinction. Uh, None of that uh, really weighs up in your mind. No, I didn't say that, Michael. What I did say was that the professionals have assured me that that wasn't the case. Uh, and the board Planola are dealing with the environmental mm. impact statement on okay. the road. Uh, I'm not qualified to make that final decision. I won't be making it, but I very much want a road built, Michael. And okay. That couldn't be clearer to you or to anybody else. Okay, I, I take it by the sounds of things that some of our younger listeners uh, may be able to get uh, the dart uh, from Drogheda uh, by using their bus pass because they'll be on their pension before it's delivered. Well, Michael, I don't know what age a young person is when they get the pension. I think it's somewhere up around uh, 65, 66 at the moment. So I think that wouldn't be a a comment that I would agree with. What I would agree with is this, that that the Dark Plus, as it's called, is on track for Drada, that the new, the 41 new rail cars has been ordered for for the the whole area including, the, so we'll have new carriages. They're the new carriages, but the DART won't, the DART won't be... Can I please answer it? That they will be, that they will, some of those carriages will be on the northern route uh, by the end of next year. They're, sorry, they've been delivered in 2022. Yeah, they're not and DART. In 2024, the new carriages which are being constructed, which are called the hybrid diesel carriages, mm. sorry, hybrid electric, will be servicing Drogheda every, there'll be a train every 10 minutes, 
every 10 minutes and those trains will have the capacity to carry 1,400 mm. passengers each individual train. I met with the chief executive of Irish Rail a couple of weeks ago to discuss all of this mm. and as you said at the beginning of the programme uh, that the whole idea of having an hourly uh, enterprise service is fantastic and obviously after 2027 the four speed, there will be four rail tracks in and out of Dublin. Mm. Obviously, there's only two at the moment, and that does create a Yeah, problem. so the hope was that the DART uh, would be available to people in Drogheda from 2027, uh, and then that seemed to be pushed back to 2030. Now it's looking like no, 20, 20, now it's looking to like 2034, isn't it? No, you've got it completely wrong. The, DART, the, DART, the service for Drogheda, with the new carriages that have been ordered, mm. will be in Drogheda in 2024. The yes. difference, Michael, is that the electrification yes. will be later than the DART. Yeah, twen- that's what I'm talking about. The electrification was planned for 2027. Uh, it was pushed back to 2030. Now it looks now it looks more likely that it'll be 2034. Isn't that the case? Michael, did you ever hear good news on the radio from a Finnacraig TV? Would you listen to what I'm saying? What I'm saying very clearly... I, I heard you. I'm talking about the electrification. Sorry, Michael. You don't want to hear the truth. That's fine. I'd like your listeners to hear me say that in 2024, the hybrid electric dark carriages, mm. which will use the electricity uh, overhead lines as far as Malahide, and then will use electrics, the batteries, to come to Drada, would be every 10 minutes in 2024, 2025. Mm. And it won't be... the pensioners will be still uh, still the same age, so I don't know. Yeah. I, I well, don't that's know. one phase, but I'm talking about the other phase, which is the electrification. But, but, the other, but, but these would be, but this is why we're having these. This is the point. But you're ignoring I mean, the point, which was that they were to be delivered in 2027, went back to 2030 now, it looks like 2034. Oh, you're ignoring the point carriages, by suggesting... But, but, the carriages are coming in 2024. That's a fact. You're intentionally confusing people. I'm not confused. You are. I think you're confused, Michael. You don't. You you better read this stuff again. Mm. The the the, uh, electric hybrids will be in Drogheda in 2024. Yeah. No dispute. The email address of. Irish Rail, and you can go okay. to okay. verify okay. what okay. I'm saying. Okay, all right. We leave there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, this morning. That's been a TD for Lad Fergus O'Dowd. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the Irish Hospice Foundation is uh, to host a uh, national conversation on death and dying and bereavement uh, today at its uh, biannual conference. And we're joined by Lynn Murta, Marketing and Communications Manager with the Hospice Foundation. A very good morning to you, Lynn, and uh, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, This is the seventh such conference. Uh, Tell us uh, what the idea of having this conversation is. What are you hoping to achieve through it, in other words? Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, this is our seventh uh, biannual event and this year um, our focus is um, are we the same? uh, The art of losing and building back better. Obviously, over the last 18 months, um, We've all been through an awful lot in terms of dealing with death and dying and, and bereavement, whether that's a, a death that's happened in the last 18 months or previous to that. And really what we, what we want to do is create a space for people to look at their relationship with the process of dying and to be able to talk about it in a, you know, in a safe environment, in a, in a place where they can 
really open up and um we've a we've a list of uh, a lineup of experts um in in the field of death dying and bereavement who will hopefully give people yeah. the information and tools to be able to do that. Absolutely. I see Dr. Mike Ryan of the World Health Organization will be addressing your conference. Uh, is it important, though, that we have that conversation? I suppose some of us deal with uh, each of uh, these issues better than others and better at some times than at other times. Yeah, um, and it, it, I think, you know, um, our philosophy is that we do need to, to think and talk about these things in an open in an open way because it, it, it's something that comes to all of us and it, it happens um, uh, like every day of the year. So it's important that we're able to talk about it. And yes, grief doesn't have, uh, you know, it's not linear. It doesn't happen in a, in a very structured way. And people can are maybe able to talk about it one day and not able to talk about it another day. But it's important that we create the space and environment for people to be able to do that and to deal with in the in the best way that they can. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's lots of um, innovative ways in terms of, you know, palliative care processes and um, even in relation to the to funerals and, and post-death um, rituals. And look, we've all been affected by that. You know, the rituals that we are so, we, we had been so used to over the last, you know, for forever were thrown up in the air in the last 18 months. And, and that has has greatly impacted people and I don't think we should underestimate that so mm. we want to be able to give people the, the space to be able to talk that. We have researchers who will share their, their learnings and, and the, the research that they have on loss and grief for families and communities and um, with palliative care doctors talking about um, the process of dying and end of life coordinators sharing their experiences so that we it's not a, we're trying to Create, demystify and take away the fear that a lot of people have um, around the death and dying process. Yeah, and it is uh, a mystery to many of us and uh, one uh, that we won't understand till it actually happens, uh, but that is uh, the one certainty in life uh, and it is inevitable that we will all meet our demise. It is uh, the only thing that's guaranteed. Should we be planning for our deaths? Yeah, um, you know, we would certainly in the Irish Hospice Foundation encourage people to talk to their loved ones and people close to them so that it, for two reasons. One, it allows people to um, to share what their, what their thoughts are and what they might like around a particular, if they were, if they're unable to talk or or become incapacitated at some point in the future. But also it eases the pain and the decisions that need to be made for people who are left behind. We run a programme called Think Ahead Ourselves, which is a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a booklet that allows people to have those conversations. And those conversations can be incredibly difficult mm. and need to be taken at a time when, when the person, the people involved in that conversation are ready. So you might have a five-minute conversation today, but... You know, and, and that's enough for today. And then you come back to it at another time. But however best it is to have that conversation for for to suit yourself and to suit the people that you're talking with. It's, but it's important to have it. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I suppose some people uh, get the opportunity to have it uh, 
uh, on occasion uh, in a way that others don't in that they're uh, given a, a terminal diagnosis and that uh, suddenly it comes home to roost. Uh, but uh, as I say, it's something that we all face into. And is, is it something that we should all be thinking about in terms of what we want after we're gone uh, and to talk about that with the people that we love, whether we want to be buried, whether we want to be cremated, uh, whether we want a headstone, whether we want our ashes scattered or whatever the case may be. Yes, and it is really important that, you know, people are able to, are given the space to have those conversations. You know, as you say, if you're given a terminal diagnosis, that that can sometimes be a catalyst for the conversation. But actually, there are lots of people who don't have that, you know, who aren't given that opportunity. And, you know, it could be an accident. It could be, a you know, something else happens that doesn't, mm. that, uh, doesn't allow that conversation to happen. So actually, it's really important to have it when you when when you can you know before those diagnoses before those conversations happen and you can talk about as much or as little as you want so you know yes you're right around you know the planning of a funeral or you know what mm. you might want post but also if you do get sick or if you are in an accident where would you like to be cared for what would you know do you want to have you know music on is you know looking mm. out you know ideally where would you what would your environment look like? That's a really important conversation. Yeah. And then there are moving into the more legal frameworks like wills and advanced healthcare directives. And, you know, so they're one step further again. Yeah. Or maybe you prefer, somebody may prefer to have those kind of more formal legal conversations and not have the other ones. But every conversation in these in for thinking and planning ahead is really important and the forum that we our forum is on today from 11 to 4 and tomorrow 11 to 4 and those conversations that's what we're trying mm. to do is allow people give people the opportunity to have those conversations and some conversations are easier than others uh, as to whether you want to be resuscitated or dnr do not resuscitate or whether people would uh, choose uh, to uh, end their lives themselves uh, uh, and look for assisted dying, as the case may be. Yeah, I mean, all of those conversations are, you know, they should be had with the people closest to you and, and in terms of being able to determine, you know, what you want as you, as you approach end of life, as I said, where you want to be cared for and what other, um, uh, what you want to have post you know, uh, when you die, as you say, you know, do you want to be buried, cremated? All of that is equally important. And what it does is, Michael, it allows people, the people who are left behind, once they know, then those decisions become easier at a very, very difficult time, you know. Mm. Um, and it helps, can help with their grieving process. Um, and, you know, when, when, we, when we all go, when we die, we want to be able to ease the pain, I suppose, as much as possible for the people who are left behind. Indeed. All right. Uh, well, there'll be a lot to discuss. Uh, there's no doubt uh, about that, uh, uh, including uh, the bereavement process, uh, which uh, is, again, like death itself, easier for some than it is for others and uh, for some at some times than it is at other times. Uh, but all of this will be discussed today from 11 through till 4. Uh, can uh, people uh, attend online or uh, is there an opportunity yeah. to hear what's being said? Yeah, so the, the there are still tickets available on, on hospicefoundation.ie um, and you can go on there to register. And even if you can't sit down for those four hours to four to five hours today, if you register, you will get access to all of the 
talks and conversations afterwards so you can um you can sit down and watch them because look ultimately these are difficult conversations to listen to and it may not be something that people want to want to be able to do all in one go but the content once you're registered content will be available um for the for the next couple of months to look at all right we'll leave it there for the moment thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the program uh, this morning uh, that's uh, lynn murtha who's uh, the marketing and communications manager with the irish hospice foundation some of uh, the comments coming to us deirdre uh, in touch with her wish list list <laughs> her wish list for budget 22 um she says there should be an increase in tax credits more expenses that could be claimed for tax relief increase in medical card limits to a realistic level reintroduce child benefit for up to 22 in full-time education. I take it that if you're in full-time education up to 22 that uh, your parents should be uh, entitled to child benefit and more benefits for low-paid workers. Thank you very much indeed. Interesting comment. Uh, Dave in touch saying it's kind of hard to have faith in the projects outlined in the National Development Plan actually going ahead, particularly given the comments by the Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan, he really didn't inspire much confidence, did he? We're used to hearing all of these promises from government and then not seeing the results. Mick says he was delighted to hear us talking about the importance of having working fire alarms in the home. He also wanted to point out the importance of having working carbon monoxide alarms in the home as well. They have a very important role with safety in the home and we should all be sure to have one in our homes. Thank you as well for that, Mick. Uh, another text from Matthew in Drogheda who says that the people of Drogheda want the Northern Cross route. How's that coming along, Fergus O'Dowd? The town is choked with traffic. Well, there's no mention of uh, the Northern Cross route in uh, the National Development Plan. Matthew, as uh, I guess you probably know already, uh, it was something that I, I wanted to ask Fergus O'Dowd about because I take it that there's no prospect of uh, the development of the Northern Cross route before 2030 at least given that there's no mention of it in the plan Uh, but unfortunately uh, we got bogged down in other matters as uh, you probably will have noticed if you'd been listening to us this morning but thank you indeed for your text and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us so far today Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Let's go to Manchester where the Conservative Party is holding its conference over the course of uh, the uh, couple of days, Monday and today in Manchester, as I say. Conference, I want to say a particular word about one part of our United Kingdom, Northern Ireland. The Northern Ireland Protocol is not working and needs to change. Yes, We agreed the protocol in that difficult autumn two years ago. We knew we were taking a risk, but a worthy one, in the cause of peace, in the cause of protecting the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. It was the right thing to do. It ended our constitutional crisis. It meant our country could leave the EU whole, free, and with real choices about the future. Of course, we wanted to negotiate something better, If it had not been for the madness of the Surrender Act, we could have done so. So we worried right from the start that the protocol would not take the strain if not handled sensitively. As it has turned out, we were right. The arrangements have have begun to come apart even more quickly than we feared. Thanks to the EU's heavy-handed actions, cross-community political support for the protocol has collapsed. 
The protocol itself is now undermining the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. Businesses, political parties, the institutions, and indeed all in Northern Ireland now face instability and disruption. Right, that's as a result of the Northern Ireland Protocol under the Brexit Agreement. That's uh, the UK's chief negotiator on Brexit, David Frost. So what will the UK do? Will they trigger Article 16 to suspend the protocol? The answer is it depends on what the EU brings forward. Uh, whether they're willing to negotiate seriously about removing the uh, obstructions that we've currently got. It, it's crazy yeah. that you have uh, you have you know, cancer drugs that you can't easily move from one part of the UK uh, to another. Does that mean ditching the protocol, though? It, it, means, it means fixing it or ditching it. Okay. Fixing it or ditching it. Uh, that's the British Prime Minister. He was speaking to the BBC over the weekend. Geoffrey Donaldson was in Manchester yesterday. This is what the leader of the DUP had to say. Well, I'm at the uh, Conservative Party conference this week and I'll be here for a few days uh, meeting uh, uh, with ministers and talking to many others about the uh, issues that are important to Northern Ireland. Um, earlier today I met the Prime Minister and uh, again emphasised to him the need for action uh, to resolve the issues around the Northern Ireland Protocol. We need to see the Irish Sea border removed and it's time now for the government to act and follow through on the commitments they gave in their command paper in July. Uh, we really cannot sustain this situation where every day our economy and our politics is being harmed by this protocol. It is time for action. That's Geoffrey Donaldson, the DUP leader. Let's speak to Finnegale MEP Colin Markey, who's on the line with us now. Uh, is there a threat, a real threat? Uh, there's certainly a threat, and it's being repeated continuously uh, by the British government. But is that threat credible, do you think, uh, to the Northern Ireland Protocol? Well, I don't see that there is a realistic alternative. I think the problem that there is with the UK ultimately is. UK chose to uh, go for Brexit and they're trying now to blame an awful lot of the problems associated with Brexit with uh, trying to blame them on the protocol. And I don't necessarily see that as been the situation. Like, even if you just pick up on Geoffrey Donaldson's last point there about removing the, the border down the Irish Sea, like, this is not about a border down the Irish Sea. This is about ensuring there's no border on the island of Ireland. And that's what we're trying to. That's what it's. That's what the. Yeah, but you heard Boris Johnson fix it or ditch it. Uh, can it be fixed? I certainly think it can be fixed. There's no doubt it can be fixed. I think one one of the one of the situations as regards what's wrong here is there's a bit of megaphone conversations going on as opposed to meaningful discussions. Like one of the things I've been asking for the whole time is for people to engage in the in the structures that was put in as part of the TCA. Like there's a, for instance, this week in Brussels or in Strasbourg, as it is, a, the EU UK Parliamentary Assembly is this, one of the structures that's there that gives 35 seats on the EU side and 35 seats on the UK side to, to, to if you like, to work on teasing out all the problems. But it's, it's, Europe are, are looking at appointing the people from their side on that at the moment. The UK needs to do likewise and needs to make sure that there's a good, strong representation from Northern Ireland as part of that within mm. their delegation. But the UK, and it seems, wants to renegotiate the thing. But this is the point. Uh, like, they essentially want to renegotiate Brexit. Mm. Because it's not the protocol they want to renegotiate. They want to renegotiate everything. And that, quite simply, isn't an option. 
I think the way to iron out the, the, the problems that are there, which ultimately are a number of areas which can be resolved. Okay. But that would mean that it can't be fixed from a British perspective, wouldn't it? Uh, and if that is the case, what happens if they ditch it? Well, I, I don't think it can. I wouldn't accept that it can't be fixed from a UK perspective. It absolutely can be fixed. Like, the, 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 the situations are boiling down to three or four key areas. It's medicines, uh, SPS checks and food moving from the UK to Northern Ireland, and to some degree, some issues around pets as well, and a number of things like that. They're the, they're the primary issues. And, like, their solutions can... It's a question of whether people want to find solutions or whether they can find solutions. And I think if people... If the, if the goodwill and the appetite is there to find the solutions, they, they can be found. Like, it's interesting that... a. Uh, be it a, a Conservative Party conference or be it, let's say, the marching season in the North, that's when this kind of rhetoric comes out. I think what we need to do is get away from this kind of political posturing element of it mm. and start dealing with the actual mechanics and practicalities well, of the issues. Of I, the I, I, I don't know. Uh, I fear that you might be wrong and uh, I'd also be equally afraid that Geoffrey Donaldson might call an election in the next couple of weeks. Well, I don't know. And like the other thing about this is, I think if you look at well, the situation, he'd have to explain you know, himself if he doesn't. Well, the, well, the, well. If you look at the scenario in Northern Ireland, and if you look at his recent surveys around it, like business certainly believe that there's an opportunity there. And I don't know that politics is necessarily out of step with public opinion in the mm. north, because a lot of the businesses in the north actually believe that there may be a way to make this work. There may be an opportunity for Northern Ireland. Yeah. Part of the UK and part of the EU. Well, you'll say that, of course. Jeffrey Donaldson will say that Marks and Spencers can't trade. Yeah, I know, and that's that's by resolving a couple of issues that are there. No, look, this isn't simple, and no one's suggesting it's a simple solution that that can be found. But the solutions can be found if people look to like if they look to find. Hmm. Solutions in customs, as opposed to start playing politics. All right. and the fear we've, but the fear we've had with this all along, is that people will let politics come ahead of of the lives of ordinary people in Northern Ireland, and in, in the interest of, let's say, the economics of Northern Ireland as well. All right. Well, let's hear the Tory solution. Take over. Let's hear the Tory solution. If we can go back to David Frost for yep. just a minute. We can still solve these problems. I set out in July a set of proposals that would establish a new balance for a lasting future for Northern Ireland. And I'll soon be sending a new set of legal texts to the EU to support them. We still await a formal response from the EU to our proposals. But from what I hear, I worry that we will not get a response which enables the significant change we need. So I urge the EU to be ambitious It's no use tinkering around the edges. We need significant change. If we can agree something better, as I would like us to do, we can get back to where we want it to be. An independent Britain with friendly relations with the EU based on free trade. But we cannot wait forever. Without an agreed solution soon, we will need to act using the Article 16 safeguard mechanism to address the impact the protocol is having in Northern Ireland. There you go, that's uh, David Frost, clearly uh, enjoying the support of members of the Conservative Party uh, and indeed uh, the idea of invoking uh, Article 16 uh, to suspend the protocol. Um, 
no use tinkering around the edges, he says, Colin Markey. No, I don't think. I think everyone has to get into a conversation. And I think if you talk, essentially what Lord Frost is talking about, I think is the command paper, as they call it, mm. that they issued in July. Mm. And it, it's referred to removing the European Court of Justice in terms of its role in it, and also removed the idea of having checks of, uh, for products coming into Northern Ireland that they're saying that wouldn't be at risk of coming south. But that's, that's, a very, that's, a, that's a very difficult situation to handle. I suppose in reality, what that would lead to, it ultimately would lead to the potential for a, a border on the island of Ireland. And that's a customs border on the island of Ireland. And that's mm. what we want to avoid. I think this is where the politics, the politics, we have to have the economics and the, the goodwill that we've had through the Good Friday Agreement for the last 20 years. That has to live out over a political issues. And I think the, the way to, rather than a command paper from the UK, or, or, or likewise from the European side, I think we really need to get people round the one table having a conversation to work out the issues. Like, it's very much coming across as a unilateral approach from the UK. It has been for, for many months in terms of every action is, is decided without conversation or without an agreement. It's, and the command paper was like that. Mm. Uh, knowing that what was on it wouldn't be agreeable on the... On the but there you go. The European side. There you go. And I think that. There you that go. There you go. That's that, that, that's exactly yeah. the point. The the, the British are, are are not accepting the situation as it is, and I think you're articulating probably the European view, which is that this is not open to renegotiation, which is effectively I mean, what I wouldn't say for. it's not. You know, the, the situation mm. is there are structures there which the, the issues. Mm. The British proposals are, are not acceptable, though. I mean, I, I think that's the uh, the, the point uh, because I, I, because, I, I, it, because I, that boils down to renegotiation. Uh, and Frost is saying if well, they're not acceptable to Europe, the heavy hand of Europe will have to face the UK government to trigger Article 16. I think the situation is that the UK's uh, proposals are not acceptable to Europe. And uh, the U- Europe's proposals perhaps aren't acceptable mm. to the UK. So let's have a conversation. That's what this is about. It's not about unilateral action. Yeah, well, you've just heard the threat of a unilateral action there from David Frost. Uh, He'll trigger... If you go back to the Good Friday Agreement, that's what what the spirit of the Good Friday Mm. Agreement was always. It was about conversation. And, like, I'd appeal to everybody at every level in in politics on the ground. Like, this has to be about... uh, putting all our best foots forward in terms of working together, getting a conversation about a solution that will work. Mm. I don't think... I don't Are you think sure that's not just wishful action. thinking, though? I mean, when you listen to what David Frost said yesterday and uh, the applause that he got for the idea of triggering Article 16, you'd have to think that's wishful thinking. You would be very concerned about the fact that uh, the, the, the narratives, if mm. you like, are not coming closer together. Yeah. And they're, 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 that polarisation. And like that polarisation is, is what we've looked to avoid for the last 20 years. And that this could end up in a hard border on the island, uh, the reinstatement of a hard border. Uh, and if it doesn't, if he doesn't trigger Article 16, we could be looking at elections after which the unionist parties won't take their seats in Stormont, which would mean the collapse of power sharing, all of which means, uh, well, God knows, let's hope uh, it doesn't mean a a return to violence on this island, uh, but it certainly um, creates the environment for such a scenario. 
that that's what we have to work extremely hard to make sure that doesn't happen. And look, like it, it is it is a big concern. It's a concern for people on the ground. It's a concern for everyone at every level. That you know, if, if it starts with conversation and it doesn't start with talking at someone rather than talking to someone, and I think that's that's on all sides. Mm. And I think uh, that, that's where I'd like to see the likes of that EU UK Parliamentary Assembly to be like rather than rather than megaphone conversations out there. Let's get people into the one room. Let's ensure that there's strong Northern Ireland representation within that mm. and deal with what, what people want. Like yeah. One of the surveys that came up there was what I referenced earlier was the fact that politics may actually be out of step with what the ordinary people in Northern Ireland want. Okay. Because they seem to want to get on with their business. Well, that not, may not be relevant uh, to what people in uh, Berlin uh, or... <laughs> Uh, in Copenhagen once. It will be relevant if it comes to an elections in the north and the, uh, and the, the sentiment is out of line with what people want. And I think we have to be careful mm. that that the language that's yeah. used is, is, is ones of cooperation. And well, I don't know. I, I, I think that there's uh, the, a real chance uh, that people across Europe are tired of it uh, at this stage uh, and uh, the British people are being told that this is the best thing that's ever happened and we're looking at a, a British renaissance. Uh, we leave it there for the moment though and thank you indeed, uh, Colin Markey. I, I, Sorry? I, don't know that we can, I don't know that we can believe that or they can believe that. There's an element of, of that, let's say, PR that's out there. Mm. That's, the PR seems to be more important than the reality. And I think we need to focus on the reality of people's lives and the impact it's having. Okay, thank and, you. And deal with the truth. Fine Gael MEP, Colin Markey, let's hear a little bit of that British PR uh, and uh, what David Frost had to say about this British renaissance. Conference, we're already becoming a very different country. This Conservative Party, under Boris Johnson's leadership, is taking us forward. We know there is only one way to prosperity, freedom and free enterprise. We have not successfully rolled back the EU's frontiers from our country with Brexit, only to import a European economic model after all this time. All history, all experience shows that democratic countries with free economies, which let people keep the money they have earned, make their own decisions and manage their own lives, are not just richer, but also happier and more admired by others. That's where we need to take this country. The opportunities are huge. The long bad dream of our EU membership is over and the British Renaissance has begun. As our great national poet said about the last Renaissance, suddenly all men arise to the noise of fetters breaking and everyone smiles at his neighbour and tells him his soul is his own. Let's work together in that spirit. Let's lead this country to a new future of freedom and in doing so, together, we will win. Thank you very much. There you go. That's uh, the chief Brexit negotiator for the UK, David Frost. Uh, and indeed, uh, maybe PR to your ears, but it's music to the ears of the Conservative Party conference in Manchester. Thanks to Anne, who was in touch with us, saying we've been hearing about the RD bypass and the Northern Cross route for years, but are we actually ever going to see them being built? It feels like they will only ever be a pipe dream. Sammy in touch saying nobody likes talking about death or dying, but it really is important that people do plan ahead, particularly when there is illness involved. But planning
planning ahead helps everyone in the family prepare for what's to come. Pre-planning means that everyone knows what will happen and there's no confusion or arguing when the time comes. Having these conversations will still uh, whilst, while you're still alive helps to give many people peace of mind afterwards. Thank you Sammy indeed uh, for sharing that thought with us. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, county councils uh, need uh, to be cognizant of uh, commercial rates, but it's not just about rates for the council. When they make decisions, they should also be taking into account the wider costs to the economy, according to Labour Party councillor in me, the Lane McGinty, who's uh, had a motion passed at uh, the meeting of uh, the county council yesterday, uh, which calls for greater inter-agency cooperation between the council and other agencies in terms of helping the country to meet its commitments to the Climate Action and Development Bill. A very good morning to you, Elaine McGinty, and thanks indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. I I take it it's far too easy to look at a a proposal and say, yes, but look, that would uh, generate a a lot of income for the council. Uh, What do you propose would happen to make the council a step back and think about the wider consequences that you spoke about? Well, I, I think it goes back to Ireland's commitment to the Paris Agreement in 2015 and the Climate Action Bill. Um, we're in the midst of a massive shift to renewable energy, uh, such as wind and solar power. Um, but we also need to be uh, careful on how we price these things. Um, it's not just about rates to the councils, as you said, but we also need to ensure that we ca- um, capture the cost of oversight and the future investment to support their existence is captured in how we charge. So it's not just about rates to the council. Um, we ha- There's a connection cost to the grid that Airgrid have come out and said that they're having to absorb. We're not fully capturing the cost. And it's not just about data centres as well. We're also looking at um, changing the way we use cars. And there's a real promotion of uh, using electric cars at the moment. But all this is putting a huge demand on our grid at a time, I suppose, when we're radically transforming our electricity system into a low-carbon model. Mm. So, um, we're and and indeed, our, yeah. our climate action plan is putting a big strain on the grid as well because there's an awful lot of emphasis on heat pumps uh, which mm-hmm. uh, require electricity if they're to work. Yes, and if you look at the way um, that we, we're shifting to renewable energy, you know, wind and solar are, are a huge part of it, but sometimes there's not enough wind. And when this happens, renewables will always need a form of backup. And at the moment, we use our fossil fuels. So in 2025, Ireland, as part of its climate commitment, has committed to stop using um, the burning of coal as a backup. And um, last week, um, I did a quick check to see how we are um, on the air grid. They have um, a web site and a dashboard to show where electricity is coming from at any given point in time. And 11% was what our renewables are at. Coal was 16 and gas is at 56. So we have started, but we are doing it at a time when there is a huge demand in electricity being uh, by, caused by data centres and our move to electric cars, just mentioned too. But our demand in our, our electricity system 
needs to be balanced mm. for for it to be done right and for all, for for there not to be blackouts. Okay. Um, we, we need greater interagency cooperation, and that's what I called for yesterday. Yeah. We need our planning department talking talking to Irish Water, yeah. Irish Water talking to Airgrid. Yeah. They're all interconnected. We can't be making decisions on um, on big infrastructure projects without thinking about the climate impact and the use of our natural resources. Going back to how we cost them, we need to cost the environmental impact and the cost to the country not just of connection but of the amount of water that they use and all the other resources the natural resources we have a finite amount of natural resources and we need to make make sure that if we are allowing industry to use them that we're getting the best return environmentally and money-wise as well. Uh, Does that mean for example that Mead County Council would look at a a planning application for a data centre on the basis of whether it's going to use so much water that it'll leave people living in the county without water or so much electricity that it could cause blackouts. Well, you see, this is the key. Data centres don't have to be built using, they can be made self-sufficient. We can insist that they're built on a low carbon model from from, from the beginning. Um, they can also be, uh, we can insist on the resources that they use are kept to a minimum. We're not doing this at the moment. So this is why I'm looking for greater interagency cooperation. There is room for data centres, but they cannot uh, you know, there has to be room for all industry. Um, I, I said yesterday one of the key points in when we're talking about renewables, we're using an awful lot of land. There's a lot of land being transferred over to solar farms at the mm. moment, which is a good thing. But we need a balance because we've also a very strong agricultural um, sector in this uh, country. And a lot of indigenous small cottage industries depend on that agriculture. Mm. So if we're transferring over lots of a very uh, arable, is, is the word we use in agriculture, a very uh, um, valuable land uh, from a food production point of view, where's the balance in that? We need to make sure that we're doing it in the right way that doesn't affect other industries. It's possible to do both. That's why we need greater interagency cooperation and we're not seeing that at the moment, not at the level we should be seeing it. Because it is possible to move forward and, mm. and we have made a start. Is it possible for these data centres to be that energy efficient because the estimate is uh, that uh, by the end of uh, this decade they're going to be using somewhere between 28 and 70% of all of the electricity that's generated? Yeah and you know we're not insisting that they, they, they when they come on board that they have their own renewable energy um, linked into the system before they start. If you, if, if you like, they're independent. They're not mm. depending um, on existing or the state coming up with the renewables. That they're but if they're, using, if they're using that yeah. much, is it possible yeah. for them to generate their own electricity? Well, it has to be possible because we can't keep going the way we are. But that's um, another way of saying you don't want them because uh, they'll be looking to plug in as such. Well, I think there's a, there's a balance. There's only so many we can support. Mm. That's the key, key here. And I know that uh, the Labour Party have supported the motion that we, we mm. have a moratorium for the moment. There's only so many data centres we can support here. We have to be realistic in what we can and can't do. We have a lot of the tech industries in this country, and some of them it makes sense to have a data centre here. They're very complementary. But not all that data centres are needed. We don't have to have a free-for-all. Now, we're at a precarious situation mm. where we are talking about blackouts. That should never have happened. And that's why I brought the motion forward yesterday. In 
interagency cooperation. I mean, I did a submission during the summer to the uh, um, Commission for Regulation of Utilities. I was listening to what he was saying and uh, looking at data centres. They couldn't have been any clearer that this problem was coming down the line for for the last few months. And they brought together... um, a submission and um, which went to the minister there's an awful lot of talk about climate change but anyone who's been listening this is going mm. on for months this shouldn't be a surprise and well, it feels like a surprise yeah it does feel like a surprise but at the same time we're told we'll cope with it because uh, we'll continue uh, using fossil fuels uh, and uh, change our renewable targets and open up old uh, power stations reopen them we may have no choice. And how did we get here? These are the questions I would think we need to be asking. I mm. think possibly greater coordination needs to come from the T-Ships office. We need somebody in control that is bringing all the stakeholders in this country together that make the decisions that affect the grid. Okay. Airgrid are very good at what they do. We need to listen to them more. We need to allow them to do their job. And when they are saying we don't have enough electricity to support what's going on in this country, we need to listen because it's not just about data centres. It's about everybody working at home, everybody who uh, is in industry across the country. It affects housing, you know, our future plans for housing. This is very serious position we've got ourselves into. We shouldn't be here. So I'm asking that we sit down and we start talking about energy, climate action as from one voice okay. and all the stakeholders sit down and, uh, and start thinking together as opposed to acting individually, which seems to be happening. Alright, thank you indeed. Uh, we leave it there. Thank you. That's uh, Labour Party okay. Councillor in Meath, Elaine McGinty. Now thanks to Pat in Dunleer who's been in touch. Uh, he says he was uh, over in RD lately and he can't understand why some people are objecting to the bypass. He says those boglands were reclaimed years ago and the cattle are grazing on them. The new roads are going through green fields not the bog land. I think there's a lot of uh, concern about uh, the destruction of the bog pat. Antoinette in touch saying uh, the Northern Cross route is collecting dust. I take it that's the plan for the Northern Cross route because there is no route, there is no road Antoinette. Uh, She says it's only Drogheda and that's why it's been put on the long finger because Drogheda doesn't matter. Uh, we need all of our public representatives in Drogheda to band together and shout to make their voices heard on this project. Thank you as well for taking the time to call us and making comment on the programme today, Antoinette. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual around this time on a Tuesday, for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a, a number of incidents which Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Fiona Kerr joins us from Navin Station for this week's report. And we're going to begin in RD, where Garda are investigating a burglary. Good morning, Michael. That's right. In the early hours of Wednesday, the 29th of September, approximately 3.15am, a burglary took place in RD. It took place in RD Jewellers on Irish Street in the town. So when Gardy arrived, the front shutter had been prized open and the front door kicked in. Now, unfortunately, quite a large amount of jewellery was taken, which was of significant value to the owner. <clears throat> so as you can imagine, the Gardy investigating this are very keen to ascertain what happened and who was involved So if anyone listening this morning has any information or who might have seen or heard something unusual around 3.15am on the morning of the 29th, that's last Wednesday, to please contact the Garda station in RD. 
Okay. Uh, some advice uh, for our listeners, uh, particularly those uh, who have uh, taken up cycling or have been cycling for some time. Cycling now, uh, very popular, uh, and uh, you're asking people to think about security. That's right. I just wanted to mention to our listeners this morning about keeping bicycles safe. Um, there are, have been a number of incidents reported to Gardaí recently regarding stolen bicycles, and very often the owner had not put a lock on them. So if people are bringing their bikes to school or anywhere, to make sure they have a good, secure lock for it. <clears throat> and also for parents to make sure the children put their bikes away at night time and not to leave them lying in driveways. And these are just some simple steps that we can take to make sure that it's a bit more difficult for thieves to take them. And for more information on this, you can visit the Garda.ie website. Okay, they can be very expensive and they can be just as expensive to replace. Uh, Worth keeping in mind uh, that prevention is better than having to go out and buy a new one. Uh, You want to make mention of a community policing initiative in Ashburn this week as well. Yeah, so as part of a community policing initiative, <clears throat> two Gardaí in the Ashburn area, Garda Goland and Garda Donoghue, are la- launching what's called a Garda chatting bench. And it was launched last Friday, the 1st of October, and it will run each Friday throughout October and November between the hours of 12 midday and 3pm. And they'll be situated at the Arkell Memorial on Frederick Street in Ashburn. So this morning I just want to make residents in the locality aware of this initiative and I would encourage people to avail of this opportunity and approach these two Gardaí who are there to listen and to help with any problems that you may have. All right, a chatting bench. Uh, can you expand on that? Uh, is that that you could go and say, uh, I feel I'm being threatened by somebody or I think somebody down the road is selling drugs or something like that? Absolutely. If you have any information you want to share with the Gardaí or if you have a problem yourself that you want to um, uh, share with them, Instead of going into the Garda station, this might be a more comfortable um, area to do it. Okay. Uh, to Drogheda, where Garda are investigating a robbery from a person. That's right. On Thursday, the 30th of October at 8.20pm, a male reported to Garda that while waiting for a taxi at Rowan Heights, Marley Lane in Drogheda, he was approached by a group of youths. And one of them asked him to empty his pockets while producing a flick knife. And even though he gave them whatever money he had, the youth cut the man on his lower arm with the knife. Now, thankfully, the injuries were minor, but a frightening experience nonetheless for the injured party. So if anyone was in the vicinity of Rowan Heights, Marley Lane and Drogheda, around 8 to 8.30pm and saw these youths, to please contact Drogheda Garda Station with whatever information you may have. Please do. And that really is terrible. Uh, we're going to conclude uh, with two thefts from cars in Dundalk. That's right. The first incident occurred at Waterville Crescent in Dundalk on Thursday the 30th of September, approximately 5am. The owner reported that his vehicle was parked outside his home but was unlocked. Now, a number of items were taken from the car, including bank cards, which were subsequently used. And the second incident occurred at Woodville Manor in Dundalk, again in the early hours of Thursday the 30th of September. The car was again parked outside the injured party's house. Uh, There was a sum of money taken and a DeWalt handheld drill. So these incidents serve as a reminder to always lock your car at night, even if it's parked in your driveway, and remove anything of value from it. So if anyone has information regarding either of these two incidents, the Guardian Dundalk are investigating and would appreciate your help. Garda Fiona Kerr of Navangarda Station, thank you very much indeed. We'll return to the Garda Crown Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Let me bring you some more of uh, the comments uh, that have been coming to us uh, today. Matty is in RD and has been texting us about solar panels. And he says, good morning. Every structure in the country has a roof on it. Why can't the government give grants for solar panels? Thank you, Matty, for that. I I think that they probably do. Do they not uh, through... Um, sustainable energy. Um, I 
think that there's all sorts of, of grants uh, available um, through SEAI, uh, but uh, I'm not sure offhand uh, for certain if uh, they're available for solar panels. I'm sure somebody will tell us in the next second or two. Uh, somebody else in touch, a couple of people in touch about RD Bog, uh, who don't want it uh, to be the route for the RD bypass. Somebody says it's easy for Councillor Minogue or Fergus O'Dowd, TD, uh, to call for the bypass because it doesn't adversely affect them. Uh, but it, it does affect a lot of residents and we don't seem to matter, nor does the environment. We only account for a small amount of votes. Uh, somebody else in touch with us saying, listening to Fergus O'Dowd, I think he wants to ride roughshod over the good people of RD and destroy a bog that needs to be saved. That comes to us from Jerry in Clongill. Uh, Antoinette uh, in touch uh, saying, I rely on public transport. I used to be able to go to the bus station in Drogheda and then get a bus to Galway. Not today. Uh, it's not possible because there's no bus on that route. I can get to Athlone but only on a Sunday, and I can get get a train from there to Galway. Uh, This is certainly not progress. I think it is a step backwards. Thanks, Antoinette, uh, for that. Uh, Somebody else, uh, then Mary in Trim, saying uh, the government are telling us all of these great things are going to happen again. There'll be billions available. Millionaires will be popping up everywhere. And... Nothing will happen, says a cynical Mary in Trim, if you don't mind me saying so, uh, Mary. I quite often call Paddy Duffy cynical uh, when he sends the messages to the programme. And he sent in a message this morning saying, Michael, nobody is born a cynic. Life's experiences causes it. But when your prostrate, prostate uh, has reached the same age uh, as mine, uh, it comes uh, with uh, some of those life experiences and you probably have a healthy degree of cynicism. Anyway, here is a revolutionary idea. Any TDs and senators that are are landlords, they could recuse themselves from any vote regarding home tenancy laws because of a conflict of interest. Thanks, Paddy. We leave it on that cynical word. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.